Welcome to the Marketers in Motion podcast, powered by the West Michigan chapter of the American Marketing Association. Marketing is our passion, and as a chapter, we hope to inspire dialogue, fuel creativity, and create a community for marketers everywhere. Let the inspiration and dialogue begin. We're online at amawestmichigan.org and active on social media, where you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The national hub for the American Marketing Association is AMA.org, where you can also find a chapter near you. The Marketers in Motion podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at AMAWestMichigan.org, where we encourage you not only to subscribe to our podcast, but review, ask questions, get involved, and engage with us. Hello, we're your Marketers in Motion podcast hosts. I'm Josh Janoviak. And I'm Megan Pear. Today's topic, the evolution of content marketing, where it's been and where it's going. Over the years, we've become a society relying on technology more than ever and therefore more connected. We no longer knock on the door. We text them, hey, we're here. We don't ask to see a manager. We either directly message the company or leave a scathing review on social media. Speaking of social media, business and brands used to get that for free. But in addition to only being able to reach a fraction of our earned following, the average return on ad spend on those platforms has plummeted over 90% over the past three years. So what's next? All of those best practices, blog articles, and professionals telling us create snackable content. Post on social media at this time. Keep your newsletter to this link. Be present everywhere, etc. That's become outdated. Today we discuss how and why we need to go back to the basics through building trust over time, quality content over quantity, and how to create authority building content. Ooh, gonna be a good one. Yeah, are you ready for that? Yeah, we learn a little bit about our guest host. Yeah, who's gonna who is gonna bequeath all this knowledge onto us today? I know. Well, you know, I love me a good content chat, so I'm excited uh, to have Jason with us today, Jason Schemmel. And Jason is a content marketing consultant who's been in the content and social marketing space for the better part of eight years. He loves helping others realize their potential through working together, mentoring, or just cheering them on and making sure they're on the right path. He has shared his knowledge at the content marketing world. We want to hear about that for the past three years, covering topics such as SEO, building online communities, and influencer marketing. In his free time, Jason also streams on Twitch, playing games from his childhood, as well as interactive games his viewers can play along with. In addition, he streams monthly charity streams where his community has helped him donate over 2,500 to various nonprofits and also monthly mental health podcasts, helping to break the stigma of talking about this sensitive topic. Wow. I, 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 let's just dive into all of this. Well, first, welcome, Jason. Welcome, Jason. Yes. Hello, guys. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me here. It's an absolute pleasure. Awesome. Well, yeah, let's uh, let's let's thank our sponsors because they made the lunch presentation possible. And Jason actually presented on the evolution of content marketing at our November AMA West Michigan Lunch and Learn. But thanks to Gilson Graphics, AMA members were also invited to join us the night before the presentation at Long Road Distillers. And if you've never been to Long Road, holy cow, they've got great food and drinks. All that stuff was provided for free to our members thanks to Gilson Graphics and uh, we had a great discussion there a little preview and uh, presentation discussion as well. Yeah and a th huge thanks to Experience Grand Rapids. Uh, they It sponsored this particular event that Jason spoke at in person and uh, we are just so thankful for them and Gilson for uh, supporting us this month at this event. Yeah so Jason welcome tell us a little bit about yourself other than the accolades that we already rolled out there for you. 
Absolutely. Um, again, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. It is great oh. to be a part of this. And I, I love what you guys are doing here. I, I hope to hope to see it keep going and keep flourishing. Um, well, but yeah, all right. So to talk a little more about myself. See, I've been in content marketing for, like I said, the better part of eight years. Um, my day job, I'm a social media manager. I've been in that role for seven years. Um, I also do, uh, like we mentioned, the content marketing consulting. So uh, what I like doing is helping businesses, entrepreneurs, startups, um, digital marketing managers, social media managers, and stuff like that, take where they're at and help them optimize it, help them get better at it. So um, clients I've helped before, some of them have been caterers, um, others have been um, insurance salesmen, um, other people have just been just social media managers, and um, they've also been consultants themselves trying, you know, they've been working with clients, and they'll bring me in saying, hey, how... I feel like I've hit a wall here. How can I help them further? And so I like coming in and basically doing a big audit of what's been working, what hasn't been working, figuring out where they have opportunities to grow and then um, really just optimize what they're doing to take them to the next level. Because I, I, I've been cut from that cloth of, I like helping everyone succeed. I'm not so much focused on myself. I succeed through other people's success. So mm-hmm. that's where my passions lie. It's, it's always been, how can I help? how can I help the other person? I mean, my wife likes to joke that I don't, around me, there's no strangers. They're just friends I haven't met yet. So. Oh, I love that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that's good. And I, I, I share with that cause I, I love to, I love to teach. I mean, if I get great knowledge, I'm always excited to share that with other people and, yep. you know, learn from them. And then as they say, I forget what the percentage is, but once you teach something that you've learned to somebody else, then you retain even a little bit more of that. So it's just uh exactly, it's a yeah. win-win and it's for even everybody. Through, and it's even been through teaching that I come across like other revelations too, especially if there's like a challenge or a problem that someone's having. And I'm like, Oh, you should look at it this way. And then just in the, in the brainstorming session that you're thinking of, you're just kind of like word vomiting a bit. You come across another thing that you, that you hadn't seen or thought of before. And you're like, why didn't I think of this before? This is awesome. <laughs> it's the marketer brain. It really is. It never stops. The gears <laughs> are always turning. Sometimes they're a little rusty, but it's true. They're always turning. Yeah. Let's delve right into the whole topic of the evolution of content marketing. And Jason, let's yes. just let's just start with a quick overview. What mm-hmm. are we going to cover? What are we going to talk about today? So I, as a whole, we're going to talk about content marketing. And the term itself, content marketing, is really the umbrella term for basically any type of information that you want to spread because digital marketing falls under that. Social media marketing falls under that. But also so does, um, so does website email, blogging, pretty much any, uh, also print stuff too. So pretty much any way you can think of to get information out to your audiences is a version of content marketing. Um, and so through the topic that I presented last week at, uh, at AMA, the evolution of content marketing, kind of seeing where we've been, what people have been doing before, where we've been now, and also some successful methods of where it's going to be going and where it is uh, and where it's trending to. So let's talk about where we started and where what has worked in the past, kind of that traditional media. Yeah. Start, so starting out in the presentation, I talked about print advertising. So you're thinking mailers, you know, a lot of it's junk mail now, but um, mailers, catalogs, magazines, things like that uh, really did a lot of success for people just because that was the, you know, quote unquote technology back then. We didn't have email or websites or social media, anything like that companies needed ways to reach their reach their audience and print was the best way to do that um, some of the examples i used in the presentation was back in 1904 jello created a recipe book 
back in 1904. And then wow. in 1906, that attributed to over a million dollars in sales, just that recipe book alone. That's like a, a guide that we would put out today, like a downloadable guide. Look, they exactly. were doing it back in the ebook. 19- yeah, comparable to, again, yeah, yeah. ebook, PDF download, something like that. They put out this recipe book. It attributes to a million dollars in revenue for the company in 1906. And you want to think about the value of the dollar over 100 years ago? Like, that, that's mm-hmm. huge. <laughs> if I was the marketer that dreamt that up, like, that's mic drop material right there. Like, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm good. <laughs> you retired on that one. Exactly. Like, I, I want to take a cut of that, and I'm good to go. Um, but uh, other examples that we included a few decades later, Weight Watchers came out with their own magazine in the late 60s. So that way, um, they would have that out in newsstands and in grocery aisles, things like that. Another great way to get in front of their audience because... Weight Watchers, their primary demographic is our females, typically 25 to 55, and supermarkets are the best way to get a hold of them. So let's make our let's make a content, a piece of content that we have complete control over and use the supermarkets to help us get it out that way. Um, another example was Lego. They created their own magazine called Bricks Kicks, and it's something that uh, um, parents and kids could get a lot of value from. Parents could see how to build different things using the various pieces that they haven't lost yet on the Legos or they haven't stepped on and broken. Mm-hmm. And kids could see like all the cool stuff that was coming out, which made um, w- which made great content pieces f- for Lego because a lot of kids would look at that and be like, okay, like I want this for my birthday list. I'm going to put this on my Christmas list. It, it served as marketing uh, for them, which worked really well. Let's talk a little more about traditional media and advertising, TV, billboards, radio, and such. Yes, absolutely. So um, billboards, billboards and radio are based in, in radio commercials are basically awareness campaigns. It's a it's a shotgun method to marketing where I'm going to put this out where I can't control the type of people that are going to see this, but I can put it out in places where I think most of my audience is going to be. So with billboards, it was more location-driven and geo-targeted. Radio was more of audience-driven based upon the uh, the radio station that you were promoting at. With billboards, though, I see a lot of companies still use billboards to try and drive traffic and drive business and conversions. And the problem with that is that it, billboards can't be that. You can put a phone number on there. You can put a website on there. But a dry, uh, someone in their car driving past a billboard is only going to see that sign for maybe five or ten seconds Maybe a little bit longer if they're stuck in you know, rush hour traffic or something like that. But for the most part, the average impression lasts no more than a few seconds, and they're not going to have time to write down, save, or take a picture of the phone number or the website. So, if, so trying to use billboards to move that customer along that funnel from awareness into consideration or even into purchase is incredibly hard. Like I've even seen billboards where they have a QR code on it. I've seen those, yes. Think about that for a second. <laughs> like, I'm going to sit here, drive in my car, notice your billboard, and in those three to five seconds I have, take my phone out, pull up my – while I'm driving at the same time, not getting into an accident, pull up my uh, my barcode scanner, hold it up, and hope that I can actually scan the QR code that you have up there, you know, and, and go about it that way. I'm looking at it going, why? why, why? Wasn't well thought through. I've also seen the QR codes no. on the side of, like, vans. And I'm like, we're, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's effective. That one makes just a little more sense than the billboard because like you could be going, like you could be parked at a parking lot or, at, yeah, an event or a venue and be like, okay, I'm walking that's by this one. All right. I, I want to look at that, but still it's, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. But there but are, the, <laughs> there are some effective campaigns. I mean, it comes to mind, uh, Mary Freebed here. It's kind of, it's kind of witty yes. to see, you know, they do very simplistic designs and it's got the different smiley faces and you know, they're very simplistic and it, 
I don't think I've ever seen a phone number on there. It's just always the message about, you know, Mary is, is here. Come, come see us. Building that awareness. Right. Right. And it's super creative. Like their messaging on those campaigns are phenomenal. They do a really good job of being creative around that. Right. I love how they do it because their billboard is usually a part of like a three or four step campaign Mm -hmm. for that billboard. So they give you a little bit and you're looking at that for the first two and you're like, what? I have no idea what's going on here. And and so every time you pass it, you always look at it wondering like what you're still looking at it going, I have no idea what this means. Mm-hmm. And then not until it gets to stage three or four where it reveals Mary Freebed and then the messaging and stuff like that. You're like, oh, OK, that's actually pretty clever. Right. Yeah. And you get and so, remember it. You get so invested in the series. It's like you just stay on the yep. road so you can find out where the story goes. <laughs> exactly. I want to take this route. I want to see what happened next on that billboard. And they're also, I will say they're also very timely and relevant, which I think is a huge component of content in general. Yes. Uh, you know, they are designing like their recent series that's out. It's all holiday, Mary related, you know, Santa, that kind of thing. And it fits into their theme, uh, but they're constantly changing that. So they're being relevant to their audience. Yep, current and relevant, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, all right, so we got we got awareness campaigns, billboards, radio, and traditional TV. Yep. I mean, that's kind of a shotgun approach as well. You're just putting a an ad out in prime time or whatever, hoping to catch X amount of people, right? Yep, commercials. Um, it's another form of awareness campaign. However, the prob the probability of conversions is a little bit higher because you have people already at home, and so they have access to their phone or the internet, something like that, so they can take that next step. Uh, which is why, you know, uh, infomercials are still used today, even though it, it still seems like a very old dated version of advertising. Um, for some, it still works, though. You know, hey, you know, call mm-hmm. now and, you know, we can, you know, you can pay for this in three easy payments of 1995, blah, blah, blah. That, like, that method still works for some people. But again, though, it, it's it's basically an awareness campaign because you can't you can't finally target the people that you want to that you want to target. You just have to go to each, you know, each channel in you know, whatever time slot you want and hope that your people are actually watching it then. And then depending on the time slot and what channel, you know, your, uh, your cost is going to vary. Now, what about the technologies like on-demand TV, TiVo, those that just let you boop, 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 go right through the commercials or those are still old school, don't want to pay for that. We just pick mm-hmm. up our cell phone or iPad and computer and we do other things while the commercials are on. Right. Yeah. That's, um, and, and that's the difficult thing about TV advertising is that, um, and I have this in the presentation too. There's a Google survey or Google uh, research that was done that said TV advertising at home, 55% of the people aren't watching your commercial when it comes up because most of the time when a commercial comes up, so do the phones, they're checking social mm-hmm. media, they're doing something else, looking you know, looking on Amazon, something like that. They're not paying attention to your commercial whatsoever. Or me, I, I mute them. <laughs> yeah, or that too. It's like, I just don't want to hear it. Yeah, Wait, back on. we we yep. have we have that argument all the time because Courtney wants to mute it, and I'm like, no, I want to listen. I want to hear what they have to say. I want to know that Phil You're Mickelson, Phil Mickelson, is really suffering from his rheumatoid arthritis, and I want to know how he's fixing that. <laughs> but you compared that to the effectiveness of uh, the same type of uh, a YouTube or a pre-roll ad, and those were much more effective. Yes, they were more effective, but you're still losing people because. Um, it, with the with the pre-roll ad that you have where it is skippable, 38% of people from the survey said that they all they're doing is waiting for that time to click down mm-hmm. or clock down and then hit skip ad. I mean, I'm one of them. I 99% of the time I'm not going to watch an ad because I don't want to watch an ad. I want to watch a video, not a commercial. Um 
But even if you have a commercial that isn't skippable, 17% of the time, they're not even paying attention to it. They may watch it. They may see it only because they have to. They're not registering it. But it's not registering at all. Yeah. It's probably hard to get the data, but do you have any ideas on conversion rates or do you think it's similar to traditional radio broadcast media with audio such as the the commercials that come in over um, podcasts, Pandora, TuneIn, Spotify, when you're listening to those online? And a lot of those you know are targeted towards you Mm -hmm. based off of your listening preferences. Are, Are those any more effective or do you have any idea on that? Um, I don't have data to back it up, but for me, just from my experiences and my marketing, you know, background and all that stuff, I know that those are the conversion rates are higher because you can finely tune that target audience, um, just going into demographics and, you know, what they listen to and and history and that kind of thing, but it's still a commercial. It's still an advertisement and you're not going to, you know, a hundred percent of the people that you're reaching aren't going to be interested in whatever it is you're selling. Okay. Um, but but that's marketing as a whole, though. It, you know, if you're doesn't matter if you're advertising on YouTube, Twitter, um, Facebook, Instagram. It, it doesn't matter because most of the time, whatever advertisement you have, not everyone is going to be like, oh, I I need that or I'm interested in that. So, it that's always the risk of advertising, though, and that's why we put dollars behind it. We put the money behind it because we want to reach the people who are actually going to be driven to click and proceed through that. Um, that's, that's the whole cost of doing advertising though. Now that we're in the digital age, how does media advertising, marketing campaigns and content start to change? Yep. So after, you know, after we got used to radio and and newspapers and television and stuff, the internet explodes, we have this huge data connectivity thing. And all of a sudden we have instant connections, um, that, you know, that still keeps in mind AOL and the screeching thing still takes like three minutes to get connected and everything, but it still happens. And so websites and email become a thing for businesses. That becomes a legitimate marketing strategy uh, to the point it got so popular that in the late 90s and early 2000s, if you didn't, if your business didn't have a website, you basically didn't exist to them, to a, to a consumer or a business looking, to, looking for B2B business. Um, if there wasn't a way for them to find you online, they weren't going to go through a phone book and call you. And that's, it started that shift of interpersonal communications and more digital communications. Um, and so with website and email, blogging started started taking off. It was more personal blogging. But now uh, nowadays, that's expanded to just about anyone and everyone, including businesses and brands, do that to share their knowledge. It helps build brand authority, brand expertise, and trust and reputation. So. Um, you can be talking about topics within your industry and people look at that and, you know, as long as they get that perceived value from it, they're thinking, okay, this is a trusted source. And then if you build that reputation and that trust over time, all of a sudden people that are, that were Googling that information before are start, are now just coming straight to that blog. So for me as a content marketer, if I'm looking for like the latest updates or the latest trends or um, changes in the content marketing world, before I would Google, you know, like content marketing trends 2020 or um you know what's the new what's what is agile marketing or what's this term or something like that now i've come across this the source called content marketing institute which is as you can probably guess a lot of things content marketing they have a blog where they post every week from various content marketing professionals and so now instead of googling content marketing stuff i start my search by going to that blog and see if they have information on it first because that's a trusted source 
By the way, love their content. Their uh, weekly newsletter is fantastic. Yes. They produce some really good stuff and it's all usually very research backed. Uh, so, you know, it's, you know, legit studies that are happening about content marketing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Their editorial process, um, even for anyone that does guest posts and stuff like that through CMI, um, it's heavily vetted and the, mm-hmm. the content is heavily vetted too. They, they want to make sure that they're sending out quality content to their uh to their subscribers. So it's good on them. And it and it's, has absolutely paid off. But um, continuing on, after blogging, we see social media. First, it was MySpace. That was all personal. And then Facebook kind of took over. They made it personal. And then all of a sudden, they built up this huge following, 1 billion fans and all that stuff. And then they opened it up to businesses saying, hey, put a business page on here where a lot of your audience is. Have them follow you. And any content that you publish up there could be links, could be videos, could be blogs, could be organic posts, whatever. Every one of your fans will see that. Not only that, they'll get a notification too. So they know when you're posting. And then us as marketers were like, yes, this is a goldmine. And it was for a while. It was an absolute goldmine because we're reaching 90 to 100% of everyone that we've done that work of bringing them into, um, bringing them over to our Facebook page. And we became, we got spoiled. That's the, that's the down and dirty of it. We got spoiled. Well, and I would argue that a website bringing validity to a business, similarly, social media brought validity to you as a human being. Because if you're not on social media, do you really exist? And I'm sorry, guys, <laughs> mm-hmm. but if we're not connected on social media, are you really my friends, right? We're not really friends. That's got to be Facebook official, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so, <laughs> so going back on that, how... What about that balance? Because one of, one of my biggest pet peeves is I will see companies that have both. They've got their website and they've got their social media, and then they will neglect the website. Everything is, I want to go find an event or I want to find something that you know you would normally have on a website. You go on the mm-hmm. website, nothing's there. Everything's outdated. They're doing everything on Facebook, which of course is great for engagement and day-to-day, but very hard to find You know, if I'm looking for something particular. So uh, how does how does that balance out when sometimes one is neglected for the other? Um, that's become a challenge of a lot of businesses because, um, like you said, a lot of them have a, they have a website, but it's not up to date. It looks, I mean, everything is old and everything, and they focus purely on social media, um, which is understandable because nowadays, if you don't have a social, if your brand doesn't have a social media presence to most people, you don't exist. Mm-hmm. If they don't have a way to find your business, connect with you, see what content you've been posting, see how people are responding to that, see how you interact with people and find user reviews and everything. So they know what they're going into. Before, they know what they're getting into before they even interact with you. They're not going to trust you. Okay. But then, like you said, if they're looking for that next step, so let's say if I find your brand on social media, I like what I see, I'm interested, but I want more information about whatever product or service you provide, and I go over to your website and it's not updated and I can't find the information that that I want, I might take the time to message you and hope to hear back from you pretty soon. Most consumers nowadays expect an answer within 24 to 48 hours before moving on. Um, or I just might move on and find someone else who does it better than uh, better than you. So that's become kind of the struggle is finding that balance of putting enough time and effort into our website so that people can actually get, so they can continue that customer journey and putting enough time in social media so that we can get found. Isn't it beneficial to use Facebook to push people through your website? I mean, you can kind of go vice versa, but I always thought that that was part of the funnel is you want to get people through to your website to engage with that content 
bringing those numbers up and hopefully conversions, depending on what your, your conversions mm-hmm. are. Yeah. Social media f- doesn't matter which account or what brand or what platform you go through. Social media is a great way to get found. Um, the, unf- the problem with that is that it's all rented space though, is that we've put so much time and effort into building up all of this stuff. What, what a lot of us marketers didn't realize up until recently is that at any given time, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, any one of those platforms could get shut off for absolutely no reason and no alert whatsoever. Well, and, and I so, think, too, you talk a little bit about this, too, going along with that. I mean, the algorithms can change, and then we don't know if we're truly yeah. being seen. Uh, you know, we might have to invest more dollars and paid. So you're absolutely right. It's a rented space, and we don't own what's happening there. Exactly. Yeah, we don't own what's happening there. We don't own the fans and the following that we've that we've already put time and effort and money into and everything. And it's just it's it's become a thing now where your website is like your website and your email, the stuff that you have control over. That's kind of like your house. That's your mortgage. As long as you pay the mortgage, it's not going to go anywhere. But then social media is all of the rented space. That's the apartment. You're putting money into it, but you're not guaranteed to get investments back out of it. That's just become. A, that's become another part of your strategy to get people from your rented space over to the own space. I'm, so social media is a great way to get seen because so many people are on social media, but it's, it shouldn't be like your, your bread and butter. I love the, the cartoon reaching people on the internet by the oatmeal that you had in your presentation. So yes. can you paint that picture for us uh, in audio form, how that works? Yes. So it's a four panel comic. The first panel is uh, describes how it used to be. And here's this guy, he has this building. It says his, you know, Matt's website. Matt is the guy that, that runs the oatmeal. Like, here's my website. Here's my house, my foundation, my mortgage kind of thing. It's like, and he says, come on over. I've got some neat stuff over here. Everyone's interested. They're going over to his house because he has email. He has, um, he has his RSS feed. So you, um, you could subscribe to newsletters and things like that. And then the next panel is what happened. And that's when social media really started breaking out. It has this big corporate building with Facebook's logo on it. It says, welcome new active users. And you see all of the audiences flocking over to the social media building. And then the business owner is going, actually, follow me over there on social media. It'll be easier for us to reach each other because everyone's on social media. So why should my brand be on there where everyone can see and interact with me effortlessly, if I can talk, (laughs) and, and interact with me there because we're already there. It's one less step as opposed to going over to my website and interacting with me over there. Um, then the third panel is where we're at now. The business owner is looking at the corporate building, pointing back over to his website saying, hey, I made some new stuff. Can you show it to my followers? Like, hey, I've, I've made this piece of content over here that lives on my website. Can you, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever, show it out to all of my following? And then Facebook's, uh, Facebook's doors are locked and everything. And then the final panel says is Facebook saying, promotion boost this post for $10,000 and reach a fraction of your followers. And the business manager sitting there <laughs> saying, crap. <laughs> oh, but that's, that's very indicative of today. It's a pay-to-play game in the social space. It absolutely. really is. Yep. Well, and it's very affordable for the people you can reach and the stats that you can get back. And I think we knew that was a trend, that that's where that was going to go eventually. So, yeah, right. let's let's talk a little bit just about social media ads. I mean, how what percentage of ad revenue goes to those digital means now versus the traditional media we just spoke about? And how does that look? It is 
every year, every quarter, uh, it, it is constantly getting bigger and bigger. More and more companies and brands are putting more marketing dollars into social and digital advertising budgets than any other um, than any other pieces of content. And so um, I had a slide in my presentation from Statista or Statista. I can't remember exactly how to pronounce that, but they showed between 2012 and 2018, the rise of advertising budgets just focused on social media. And in 2012, just in the first half of 2012, we spent $1.2 billion on social media advertising. Fast forward to 2018, just the first six months of 2018, we spent $13.1 billion. Wow. And I guarantee—I don't have the data to back it up right now, but I guarantee you that the first six months of 2019, I wouldn't be surprised if that number is closer to 17, 18 billion, just in six months. Well, and I think in some of the slides that we've seen in, in some of our past presentations, the majority slice of that pie is all going to Facebook. I mean, Facebook and, and Google, and then you know, on, on down the road to some of the other smaller social media platforms. Yeah. Cause I mean, those are the, those are the two biggest players. I mean, Google has their search thing, you know, everyone, what is it? I think like 92, 93% of all searches are run through Google. Wow. Um, so, I mean, Google is obviously the kingpin there and they also own YouTube. So any video advertising is going to go through Google's machine anyway. And then from the social media side of things, just about everyone is on Facebook and then Facebook also owns Instagram as well. So as far as picture sharing and everything, the most popular one, Facebook owns that. So all of that money is getting funneled through Facebook. So Google and Facebook are the, are, you know, the big Kings of the digital advertising space right now. But I think it's important for companies to really have a strategy behind it because obviously being a pay to play space now you can only invest so many dollars you know through your budget mm -hmm. and you really need to know what platform what social media platform <clears throat> your audience is on and that's yep. where you should invest your money like you mentioned josh facebook and google i just know personally i work in the b2b space linkedin is huge for us you know and yes that is a little bit more costly than some of the other ones but that's where we see a good return so kind of knowing where your audience is i think is is part of that too right jason I couldn't agree more. Knowing who your audience is should be step one before you even create content. Really? Mm -hmm. um, that should be one of the first things you're doing because if you don't know who you're creating content for and who you're marketing it to, you're wasting time and you're wasting money. Yep. That's just plain and simple because I could, I could create this wonderful piece of content. It's highly valuable promoting, you know, like either my knowledge or my product or service or anything. And I can put it out to any space. But I'm not going to, you know, would you rather, would you rather promote it out to a million people and only get like five people who are interested in it? Or would you rather promote it out to 10,000 people and get like 1500 people interested in it? You know, what, what's better? Would you rather see the vanity metrics of I'm going to put this piece of content out and it's going to be seen by millions of people, but it doesn't add anything to my bottom line? Or would I rather see a fraction of that and actually see some revenue off of that, see some income based off of that? Um, there's uh, there's actually a, a story I remember that comes to mind from that. Um, a guy named Scott Stratton. His brand is Unmarketing. He's a great guy. He's a professional. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. a professional keynote speaker. Good friend of mine. Um, and he shares this story of him uh, of him talking about millennials. He has this video that legitimately went viral. It's him. Uh, it, it was in a mid keynote speech talking about millennials because he's an older guy. So, you know, he says, I can, I can complain about the millennials. It's okay. 
<laughs> and so he's talking about this, puts it out on Facebook, gets over 30 million views. I think all of us can say like that, that is certified viral video, right? Yeah. It's up there. 30 million views. He said, I'm going to look at this. I'm going to look at the stats here and I'm going to get it down to like the most meaning key performance indicator I can get off of this as a marketer and a businessman. And so he whittled it, whittled it down to, what was it? I think at least 10 second video views with the sound on. He said, I don't know why people would listen with the sound off because there were no subtitles, but maybe it, maybe it was just because of my good looks. But <laughs> <laughs> anyways, so he whittled it down from 34 million just overall views of his video down to the number of people who watched at least 10 seconds of it with the sound on, which was still over 3.5 million people who saw this video. Wow. Okay. Wow. Now here's the guy who's a professional keynote speaker. The only way he makes money is if he gets paid speaking gigs. He got zero speaking gigs off of that video. Great awareness, great yeah. reach, great comments and everything. People were talking about it. He still got paid $0 off of that. So he said, what I was going to do was um, to, to run this experiment, I'm going to put together a highlight reel of my talking points, the things I can talk on and, the, and, and show some of the value of that. It was a similar, uh, the, the video length of it was very similar. The production value was very similar. Put it out there. 40,000 people saw it. That was it. Pales in comparison to the 3.5 million who saw it for at least 10 seconds with the sound on of his viral video. 40,000 people saw it. Within two weeks, he had seven paid speaking gigs. Wow. Measuring what matters. Go to the yep. bottom so line. That- Yep. And that's, that's the danger of vanity metrics. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I've been in social media long enough. I know that you see these big numbers of reach and impressions and everything. And they're sexy. They look great on a report. You want to see those huge numbers because the executives love that. But it doesn't add anything to the ROI. It's like, great. People are seeing it. Great. But what are they doing after that? Right. Me, me as the brand and a business, are they, are they taking that next step or are they hitting like and maybe share and then that's it? Do you think that's a common problem that you're seeing with marketers is really trying thoroughly measuring that true ROI with content to get it all the way to see how this is contributing to the bottom line? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, a, a lot of marketers are still focused on getting seen. They're, they're focused on the vanity metrics because that's what makes them look good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they keep creating content that gets them seen, which I mean, which is still good for the awareness part, like top of funnel kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing there that moves them into that consideration stage. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I think that's where a lot of people falter is that they're not measuring the key performance indicators, the KPIs that really matter, like comments. Because as long as people are talking about it, I can interact with them and help them move along if I'd like. Mm-hmm. Or maybe in that content piece, I don't have a call to action later on that says, hey, if you like what you saw here, come you know, visit this YouTube channel or go, um, you know, go check out this website or this blog article. Go download this piece of you know, content that I have for you that keeps them moving along in that customer journey to hopefully get them to purchase. Right. I, so I, again, I think that's part of the strategy is developing content for each one of those stages. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, so if you can take the time, and it does take time. It takes a lot of time to oh, think yeah. through that and what are the messages for each one, but that's ultimately going to serve you better is to have something in each one of those phases to move them along. Absolutely. Well, and not only that, but have a way to track that as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you can just put this website link up there and say, hey, go to this link. But if you don't have a way to track that through like Bitly or UTM links through Google or anything like that so that you know exactly where they came from, so you know where your value is coming from, 
you're doing yourself a disservice. It's a couple of added extra steps, but it's it's something in your in your marketing strategy that's going to pay dividends because wouldn't you rather know exactly what avenues are working the best for you in driving those conversions and sales and everything? Absolutely. You know, that, that's, I, I think that's another thing that I see people miss on too. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we're getting clicks and all that stuff. Like, great. Where's it coming from? We don't know. Like, okay. How do you know then to use whatever's working in the future? Now you have to start this process all over again to figure it out. Granted it's and it, eventually once they figure it out, then it's great. Cause then they know and they, they fix that and stuff. But then there's others who keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Mm-hmm. Definition of insanity. so we've talked about what's worked in the past and we've come up till now so we're in the digital age website social media what are some of the things that marketers are doing right now and how that's contributing to the overall evolution of content yep so some of the strategies that have been working nowadays now i'll even go back to like the past five years a lot of what's been working now, uh, as far as social media right now, it's been Facebook and Instagram stories. Those have been absolutely huge for businesses and personal brands because that's what Facebook decided they want to put value on. And so they're going to put the most value on that, which is why all your stories, whenever you look into, whenever you open up your Facebook on your computer or your phone, it t- it comes up right at the top. If someone posts a story or goes live, you get a notification about it because Facebook values that more than anything else. Um, because Facebook has that control. If they want, if they want to test something and see how valuable it is, they're going to make sure it's in front of your face constantly until it catches on. They did it with video as well. So live video and live streaming was a huge thing on social media. And so same thing with Facebook, whenever someone went live, you got a notification unless you turned it off. And then that became a huge thing. Instead of Facebook business pages, Facebook groups are now a very popular thing because you can actually reach more than 2% of your fans and followers through that. I've and they probably that. add to more engagement too, right? People are probably just naturally more engaged in groups and, and talk more and engage. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, more people are engaged in it because more people are actually seeing that content. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's being shown in your feed a lot more than something from a business page is being seen. Again, if um, if an admin or someone from the owner of that group is posting something, you get a notification. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's become wildly popular. It's It's free. You get access to most of your following, which means – Within the next two to three years, I'm sure Facebook is going to monetize that. They're going to see that everyone has finally flocked over to that. And so they're going to nerf those stats and um, and put a paywall behind it. So that's just a matter of time. So wait, um, what did what did you say the current the current reach is on, in a group percentage-wise, roughly? Uh, for a group, you still reach about 90% of the people within okay. your group. Compared okay. to a Facebook page where the average, the industry average is about 2% for an organic post. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Even less if you have a video or um, a link in there. Because Facebook sense. doesn't like it when you guide people outside of their platform unless you're paying for it. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Let's see. Other strategies that people have been using. Chat bots are another big thing because us as marketers, we don't have a lot of free time. We're trying to <laughs> find a yeah, big surprise, right? Right. Because <laughs> I mean, well, and think about it. Us as marketers, our time is kind of our sanity. You know, we mm-hmm. only have so many hours in the day. We only have so many hours in the day that we can put towards our work before, you know, we're going absolutely nuts. Um, so we find ways to automate stuff, which is why we schedule our content in advance. Um, and that's why chatbots are now a thing. So, um, if you're a brand or a company that has, that gets asked a lot of the same questions over and over again from your followers and fans, chatbots are a perfect thing for that to guide them through those first few stages until they get into those really detailed questions that you actually want a person answering. 
Mm-hmm. So chatbots have been a, a pretty popular thing. And I see, it, I see that getting bigger over time as well. Just more automation, freeing up more time. And it, um, <laughs> from a business standpoint, it's less overhead too. Right. And there are some audience groups that just don't like to call somebody over the phone, but still want an instant answer. Chat yep. works great for that. Exactly. Oh, yeah. I use chat all the time. I'd rather chat. To, I'd rather <laughs> chat to a live person than call them. But that's it. Yep. <laughs> uh, where uh, have those conversation skills gone? Exactly. I know. I I think it's just the advancement of technology. We we become so reliant on connecting with people through a digital mean that we're losing that interpersonal connectivity, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is why it seems like most millennials and kids younger than that are socially awkward because they haven't spent as much time as we have talking to people. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then God forbid you actually talk to someone and say something less than memorable because then it's going to get blasted all over social media, which makes me not want to talk even more. Sure. Yeah, it's one of those. I, I so I work at a big campground recreational community, and and it's a very active group on social media. And this, for so many questions, we we wonder why don't they just call? We can give them the answer, and a lot of people will speculate about, hey, has anybody heard about this? And what you know, what's the deal with this? I mean, they just want to ask it. They're on social media, and I get it because that's where they're comfortable. That's where people mm-hmm. want to go for that information. But in so many instances, it would just be so much faster. You'd get the accurate answer if you just picked up the phone and called us. Yep. <laughs> but then you know, you also think from the flip side of that, from calling, there's the risk of I have to be on hold for God knows how long. Oh, we and... don't put people on hold. See, yeah, but not uh, every not every place is like Josh's, you know, company. And they're, they're fantastic at their customer experience, but not every place is like that. And I think that's part of the deterrent is people true. think they're going to get this really <clears throat> convoluted experience. They're going to be on hold all the time. They're going to have to not yep. talk to a human. They're going to be pressing numbers. And then it just complicates it. And I'd rather just talk to the chatbot. That's a good yep. point. It, it's, it's that societal perception. If I kind of like the whole thing of me trying to find you through social media, I want to know what I'm getting into before I make that effort. Mm -hmm. Same thing with contacting you. If I think I'm going to be put on hold, calling you is going to be the last thing I do. I'd rather talk to a chat bot. I'd rather wait five minutes waiting for an actual customer service representative to join my chat than spend two minutes on hold on a phone. Because while I'm waiting for someone to connect with me on chat, I can do other things as well. Multitasking, absolutely. Yep. yep. So you mentioned here, I, I have to get to this because I, <laughs> I, I know what it is, but I, I still need somebody to explain to me why TikTok is a thing. <laughs> um, I'll be perfectly honest. I myself am still trying to figure out why TikTok is a thing. To me, okay. now granted, I, I will say as I'm a man, I am a male in his mid 30s. I, I feel like I need to say that first because TikTok to me seems like Vine 2.0. Okay. It's yeah, not, it's not, it's not six second videos anymore. I've seen people post, I think upwards of 45 to 60 seconds and they're doing it. And they're basically it's, it's a giant lip sync thing. That's because you can put it to either music or audio clips and stuff. And the only videos I've seen is people just doing visual lip syncing to whatever these audio clips are. And they put it out there and it goes like wildfire. It's, so are a lot of brands on this? I mean, because I'm not on it personally, so I don't really know. I, I can't speak to it or, or understand what's going on. Do, do a lot mm-hmm. of brands use it? I haven't seen a ton of van, vans, brands use it, um, but there are some big ones that do have a pretty good social following on TikTok. Really? Um, NBC was one of them. Washington Post is another one. 
San Diego Zoo. They post a lot of uh, they post a lot of videos of their animals. You know, go figure. That would be popular. That could be funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, NBA is another one. They do a lot of behind the scenes stuff, um, and also like quick interviews with players and coaches and stuff. Chipotle is another one. I was actually kind of surprised to see that had a big following on there, but they they seem to be doing well with it. Um, but that doesn't mean everyone should be flocking over to do it just because right. and that's kind of like a keeping up with the Joneses kind of thing. Just because it's available doesn't mean you should do it. Cause again, us as marketers, we only have so much bandwidth. We only have so much time and energy. Um, we also only, we only have so much budget to put into creating this content as well. You know, if, if we're creating content for this new social media platform, that means we're taking away time and budget from something else that, possibly could have been working really well for us. So um, that, that's that's all stuff that people really need to take into consideration. So even if you see a blog that says, you know, TikTok best practices or something like that. Oh, best practices. I hate that term. The term best practices. If you see why? someone post best practices, read with caution. Okay. Tell me, <laughs> tell me why you hate that term. The reason I hate best the term best practices is because I see people taking that verbatim as like gospel. Like if you do this step by step, you will see success. I if see. you do it exactly how I did it, you could see results just like I did, which is not true. <laughs> Me trying to be as clean as possible. That is not true. Um, because you have to take into consideration the person that put out that best practice, that that's what worked for them in their industry with their tone of voice, with their reputation that they've already built, with their audience that they've already vetted. And and with and also with a budget that we don't know. I mean, they might say they put you know so much money behind this. They might not. We don't know. Mm-hmm. But it's a completely different situation. What's worked for one person isn't going to work for someone else. Even if they're a competitor in that industry, they're always they're going to be perceived as you know it's something different. And take like Target and Walmart. If Target had a really good promotional campaign that worked for you know the sale that they had, if Walmart ran the same thing, it's not guaranteed to work the exact same way. Because their audience is different, the, you know, the target demographic is different, the perception of the brand is different as well, and everything. So just because it works for one person doesn't mean it's, you know, if you take it verbatim, it's going to work for you. And so I see a lot of people using that as kind of like a shortcut where, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've been I've been working on this thing, I've had a little bit of success on it. Now, I'm, you know, like, I, I feel like I've plateaued. But now I found this best practice. And all of a sudden, I'm taking off. I'm going to see instant success. Like that's our perception. That's what we think is going to happen. Yeah. But yeah. um, a, a, another good friend of mine, Jay Akunzo, who's a podcaster um, and author and stuff, he he kind of showed me the light of the best practices, and he had a great graph on it. So we think, yeah, we see this best practice, and it's going to shoot off. It's going to be the answer to all of our problems. It's going to be ans- the answer to our prayers. But what typically happens is, you know, we plateau. We find the best practice. And we put it into effect for like a week or two, something like that, to see what happens. We see a little bit of success, nowhere near what we saw in the best practice, you know, content. And then it starts falling because it's not us. We change something. People are like, okay, we, we like this a little bit because it's a little bit different than what we expected from you. But over time, it might not always work. Sometimes it might. I'm not saying, it, I'm not saying it's doomed to fail. But mm-hmm. more often than not, it doesn't stick because we don't do it consistently. If we don't see those results after a week or two, we tend to get discouraged and we we toss that out. We're like, okay, this isn't working. We're not hitting the numbers that we saw in these best practices, so we're not going to try. We feel like that's a waste of our time. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of a rinse, wash, and repeat kind of cycle. You know, we again we start plateauing, and then we find this new best practice, and we try implementing that. We see a little bit of success, and then it drops off again because we're we're impatient. 
Yeah, I'll agree with you on that too. In the in the realm of you know the competitor, I, I often hear this a lot of well, our competitors are doing that, so we should be doing that. And my first thought is like we are trying to differentiate ourselves in the market. So yep. how are we going to differentiate ourselves if we are doing exactly what our competitors are doing? That's right. not and if, if the competitor did it first. Why would they then consider you? Like Absolutely. they're already doing this. Why would we consider you then? What? Right. But that is a <laughs> very common thing that I hear a lot is like, okay, our competitors are doing this. We need to be doing that. But that's not the case. Yeah. But then that's, that's when you need to ask the question, why? Yep. And not from, not like, not like asking the executive, why should we do that? But as, but you got to put yourself in a very empathic mindset. You need to put yourself in the shoes of your consumer, of your audience why would they consider you over the other, the other brand? Right. You know, because I mean, empathy is a huge trait that a lot of successful marketers have because they're able to take themselves out of that role of, I know what I want my, my audience and my demographics to get from me, but to put themselves in the shoes of those people, of their end users going, why would they be interested in this? What pain points am I, uh, am I fixing? Do I truly understand them? It's become, it, marketing now has become very relational. You need to build that relationship with your audience before they even start to consider you. I completely agree. I always tell people, I'm like, I work for the customer. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I'm like, that's, that's who we're, we're working for. And that's like the content and marketing campaigns that we're building that for. So yeah, mm-hmm. totally agree. I mean, they're the ones that decide if the effort you're putting into this is really working or not. Mm-hmm. Right. If they're, if they're not interacting with it, if they're, if you're not driving sales off of it, then you need to change strategies. (laughs) Yeah. So Jason, what is your opinion on gated content? Gated content is a double-edged sword for us as marketers. We love gated content because we're, we created this piece of of valuable information for someone could be an ebook, a PDF, um, you know, whatever else. But in putting this out there, we want to make sure that we're getting something back out of it. Like we want that return on investment. And for us as marketers, emails are a great way of doing that, you know, getting some information of who's actually reading this stuff. And so that's where the gated content comes in. It's like, I'm going to give you this piece of content if you'll trade me for this email address or other information. I've seen other gated content where it's like, uh, your, what's your company? What's your role? What's the size of your company? What, like, what's your ad budget? We're looking for that information because in, information is gold. The the bad side of that, though, on the flip side of it, is that from the from the consumer side of it, you're basically telling me that you don't trust this relationship to go beyond this gated content. If you're as if you're so concerned that if I'm going to grab this piece of information from you, and you're requiring me to give you a piece of my information back for it, odds are I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go through that process. Um, and there was a there's a quote from a marketer, Mark Schaefer, uh, another popular keynote marketer that said, um, people hate gated content. Research shows more than 90 percent of the people interested in the content abandon the sign up process because they don't trust what happens next to the email address. Mm-hmm. So, again, thinking em- uh, empathically, put yourself in the consumer's shoes. Who wants another email in their inbox? Right. Well, they think they're going to be thrown on like a sales list and then targeted every single day. Yeah, I get that. Exactly. I've signed up for some before where like, hey, this, this, it was probably like a state of social media report or something like that because I love data and analytics. And I'm like, all right, that's worth giving my email address for. I'll let you have that. 
And then every day for the next week, I get an email from this company saying, hey, look at this other piece of content. Hey, we have this webinar. Hey, we have this service or product you'd be really interested in. I'm like, no, I'm not. Unsubscribe. Unsubscribe. So that's why people don't trust it. And so that's why, you know, I make that warning for marketers. If you have gated content, beware every email address that you earned through that you're probably losing eight or nine other potential because of that mm-hmm. and so now not only do you not have an email address people haven't consumed that valuable piece of content that you're looking to get out which could have added to your reputation and have them come back yeah um, we were uh we were talking about this uh, actually with michael barber our last guest uh podcast guest and he was kind of saying that if you do go to the, the gated content route what you're offering has to be kind of almost in the exclusive level. It's something yep. they can't find anywhere else. It is worth that value. And the the process to get it has to be, you know, user-friendly and frictionless. Um, Absolutely. Like I was signing up where I went to a webinar link today and there was 15 required fields. And I was like, nope. Not worth the time. Not <laughs> worth the time. And nor do I want to nope. give you 15 pieces of data points on me that you really don't need <laughs> for me to yep. see this webinar. Well, yeah, I, exactly. So and you just got to think of it from the from the other person's perspective. Do they really want to give you that email address and whatever other information you're looking for? Right. Sure, it's valuable to you. But what's more valuable, having that information and having that increased risk of them unsubscribing because all they want was that piece of, of content or building that relationship where if you create the next piece of content, they're still going to be more apt to go and um, go and download that or consume it mm-hmm. because you're not asking for information. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it goes back to the whole building trust. I mean, if this is a brand that you've interacted with, you are familiar with, you trust, I think that would change the whole perspective. But I mean, if you go to something for the first time and just sign up for it, I would agree. I mean, 90%, that sounds very accurate to me. I mm-hmm. I recently signed up, and I think it was just an email for gated content on podcasts. And it was um, I was searching for some information because somebody had asked me just something about podcasting, like how much how much time does it take to do a podcast? How you know time intensive is it? So I, I I'm like I've got a good idea based off of what I do, but I'm curious what kind of answers out there. Do what other people have done, right? There are so many blogs and articles and perspectives on that, and I found one that looked really good, so I signed up for it. But then every day after. After I got an email, it was all really great information. It was all very knowledgeable. It was all very applicable for what I was looking for. But like it just kept coming in every day and I still haven't engaged with all of it. Now, finally, it kind of tapered off. But even when mm-hmm. I was looking for that content, really engaged into it again, I just I got beat over the head with it and I I lost interest. Right, exactly. Because again, like, we don't want another email to go through. You, we see emails and we read the headline. We might read the first couple of sentences and then we decide if we're going to read the rest of it. You know, it, it, it's gotten to the point now where I have an email address that's just for gated content. It literally has junk in the email address. So when marketers wow. look it up and see that, they already know I'm not touching any other content that they have out to me. Like, the only value you've provided to me is having this little, this ebook or this PDF, whatever it is, that, you know, access to this video or something like that. Because that's all I trust you for. I don't, I don't want another email in my primary email inbox. I don't want to have to go through the steps of, unsubscribing where some people make it really easy to unsubscribe and others, you still need to answer like a four or five question poll to actually unsubscribe from it. That just pisses me off even more as a consumer. And it it breaks that trust even more to the point where it it doesn't matter how valuable of a piece of content you put out after that. I am not going to do that because I know the, you know, the quote unquote hardships I'm going to have to go through 
to, you know, to get off of that or just to be able to consume that. I don't want to go through that again. So I'm going to go to someone else. So basically, before you start gated content, you need to make sure your user experience across all the platforms is up to par because that could cause the friction once you lose that customer. Right. Or put more value into building that trust over time. Mm-hmm. Sure, you're not going to get emails right away, but in you know in, in trusting that you can just put out that content and know that you know future content pieces out there are going to be consumed by them, even though you're not getting immediate ROI back through engagement, through shares, through email addresses, through conversions, and that sort of thing. Build that trust over time, because I mean, content marketing it's it, it's a marathon; it's not a sprint. You can't expect results instantly. Um, and Joe Polizzi, the guy who founded Content Marketing Institute, has said numerous times before that in, in order to see real ROI through content marketing takes on average 18 months wow. to mm-hmm. really see content marketing success. The least amount of time he's seen is nine months. So still, you're spending the better part of a year putting consistent quality content out there to your audience before you really see a positive ROI from that. But again, it's all about building that trust and building that relationship so that over time, the more content you put out there, and I, and I don't mean more as in like quantity, but more of like each time you put out a piece of content, people are going to build more and more. They're going to feel more and more trusted that, Hey, this person is more concerned about helping me rather than selling me. Yeah. And I think that's a tough position for marketers uh, to enter the content game. Mm-hmm. Um, I 100% agree with you. It's a marathon, not a sprint. But to sell that to your executives, because they're looking for the immediate ROI, to yep. say, hey, we're not going to see anything for probably two years. That's a tough conversation that, to have. It, it, <laughs> that's, that's why it is so tough to be a marketer. Yep. <laughs> I, I will totally agree with you on that. It is so hard. <laughs> Well, I, yeah. I I believe Heinz said it best when good things come to those who wait, right? It really is. That was it the old. Really is, but it's just you have to you have to be able to appease the people above you, and help them be patient. And that's why just piece after piece of content you put out there, make sure it is high. It it is high in quality. You don't have to put out a piece of content every day or every week. I mean, there's I mean, I'm signed up to three newsletters. I know I said two in my presentation. I'm actually signed up to three. I forgot, <laughs> but I'm signed up to three newsletters. Two of them send out monthly. The third one sends it out when he has time, when he, when he has content valuable enough that he's happy pushing it out. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Every time I see that email pop up, I read through that entire thing mm-hmm. because I know that he's looking out for my best interest. He's not trying to sell me. Of course, he has products and services and and webinars and events and stuff going on that I know he'll have at the bottom of all of his content pieces. Like, hey, if you're interested or if you need additional help, we have these blog articles here to keep, again, keep me in that funnel. And, and, you know, if you're looking for services and stuff, we also offer this if you're interested. So it's kind of like a, I'm going to educate you on this, or I'm going to show you our perspective and share our insights on this topic. And if you need further help, or if you'd like to work with us, stuff like that, that option's available. But that selling me is not the primary thing. And that's why he built that trust up with me over time. Mm-hmm. As a fellow podcaster, let's talk about podcasts. Yes, podcasting. You had a great slide up, and we'll make sure to put this on the show notes of the podcast at amawestmichigan.org. Um, walk us through podcasts and some of the stats and conversions on, on that platform and the new hottest trend. 
Yeah. So uh, podcasting over the past couple of years has exploded. Podcasting has been around for several years, um, but brands and companies and businesses have now found it as another way to, it, it's another content piece, um, which again, just because it's available doesn't mean you should do it, but it can be valuable if you have the time to put into it. Because <laughs> as I'm sure you guys know, as well as I do, especially you, Josh, that it takes time to put together a podcast. It's not just mm-hmm. hitting record and then doing your thing, hitting stop and then publishing it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more into that. Um, I would, you know, a majority of podcasts nowadays are interview based. And so how do you differentiate yourself from that? It can be from the questions you ask, it can be from the descriptions and the information you put in there. Um, it can be from the sponsorships that you have that, that can make a really big difference. Um, but I mean, podcasts are still a really good thing. So from this um, piece of data that I found, they said that 80% of people, 80% of listeners listen to all or most of each podcast episode. And they, and they listen to an average of seven shows per week. These are typically your commuters, people who drive at least 20 minutes to and from work. And so it's a way to distract them, uh, you know, a way for them to um, you know, read up on something entertaining or maybe valuable to their industry. I, I read a lot of, uh, or I listen to a lot of podcasts that are marketing focused, big surprise. Um, but yeah, so they did the research. 80% of people listen to all or most of a podcast and, um, if you were to look at the graph of this thing, it shows a it shows the population of people listening monthly year over year, and from 2013 to 2018, it's a pretty consistent rise of about maybe three or four percent year over year. Mm-hmm. But from 2018 to 2019, they saw almost a five percent increase. Which is, I mean, when you look at the graph, you really see the big difference of it. But podcasting has become huge. Mm-hmm. Well, and I get I get those stats because podcasting is is so specific. I mean, you can find a podcast that dials in on any hobby, any topic, and yep. there's a whole host of podcasts on that topic. So you can find, you know, people that are palatable, people you enjoy listening to, people that are engaging. So, um, you know, that that doesn't surprise me at all, but you've got a good point. I mean, the time that it takes to produce a podcast. Now, the, the research that I did when I when I looked it up, and I'll say it's pretty accurate, the average goal is about a four-to-one ratio for podcasting. So for every hour of a podcast that you actually produce and have out there, you're going to have another four hours into it. I know personally for us, we do more coming from my background in production and radio. I mean, I listen to the whole thing. I edit everything up. But I know a mm-hmm. lot of podcasters that just they hit the tape and they roll and they, they do it as is. I mean, there's no editing, no touch-up. They might put a little music on the front or back, but then they send it out. You know, if you're going to do show notes, if you're going to do links, you know, that all adds time um, to the back end as well. So, you know, podcasting can be whatever you can make it better, what you put into it. And there are professionally produced podcasts, like a lot of the national podcasts that you hear. And, um, you know, there are local podcasts where people are literally just hitting a record and stop button. So, I mean, you kind of get that whole gamut. Well, right. and it the prep part too, right? Yes. Uh, you know, I will give a huge shout out to Josh. Josh handles all of our editing, uh, which kudos for, for doing that. And he does a phenomenal job. Thank you. But Thank the you. prep part of, you know, okay, who's your guest? You got to learn all about your guests, get the interview questions, do the outlines, all of that. That all takes time and work. So brands need to, to be cognizant of that too. Mm-hmm. Well, even that as the host as well, are you personable? 
do you, you know, is it, do you have a flow that your audience is interested in? Not every, and it goes with the same thing with people doing live videos and stuff like that too. Just because it's a content piece that's available doesn't mean you should do it. And it doesn't mean that you're good at it. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, especially as a podcast host, you got to be, at least from my experience and what I've seen is that you, you have to be personable, especially if you're doing the interview style, it has to, it can't just be answer, you know, ask question, get an answer. Okay. Go right into the next question, get an answer and that kind of thing. I've, and again, this is just from my experience and, you know, with my podcast, which is very interview, like every, um, every episode features a different guest. Um, it, it, and I do mine very rustic. It's very low production value. It is hitting record and then stop. And then really my only editing process is, is dwindling down the number of times I say, um, or my guest says, um, <laughs> and then any like awkward dead spaces and anything right. around like two seconds. I'm like, all right, I don't need this 10 second long pause unless it's something like the very rare occasion where it's like deep thought and it could make my listeners have like that deep thought for yeah. a quick second. Yeah. yeah. Outside of that, I mean, but still uh, in an hour to an hour long of recording a podcast takes me anywhere from like two to three hours to edit, put up, you know, put together a description, put in some links and stuff like that. Because again, th- that's another piece of content that requires SEO so that your, mm-hmm. your podcast and your episode can get found. So uh, tell- and- yeah, it- Uh, I was just going to say, Jason, really quick, uh, tell our listeners what your podcast is. (laughs) It's, it's called the get shit done chat. (laughs) And so, (laughs) and so, like I said, it's, it's an interview format and every guest is, um, I have one guest on per episode. We talk about their successes, you know, like a lot of podcasts do like, how do you know them? How are you successful? What do you do? How do you do it? That kind of thing. Um, but then the second half of that is going into the challenges and the roadblocks and the setbacks that they've experienced and continually experienced that helps them lead to that success. So um, some of the people I've had on there, you know, like some of these are really well-known people, whether if you're in the marketing industry or even just people that you've seen uh, through like viral videos. So one, actually one of them I have to, um, I need to publish soon is Bethany Woodruff, who is the, who is the poopery girl on the uh, poopery commercials. Do you remember her? Oh, Oh my the spray gosh, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah, the redhead in the blue dress. She was on, she was on the podcast. Nice. Oh, cool. And so, yeah. So we would talk about like, yeah, getting found by poopery and that whole process and everything, but then talking about her next steps and what she's doing now. Um, and, and, and it's actually kind of surprising because a lot of these people who really seem to have their stuff together, they're really successful. You know, the, you only see them doing really good things. They still deal with imposter syndrome. They still question if they're the person that everyone's looking up to. Um, they still feel that pressure to produce content to keep them as an authoritative figure. And so me as a person who hasn't quite hit that, you know, that upper echelon quite yet, or like, at least I feel like I haven't yet. Um, it's still that perception of, okay, I'm, I'm struggling with these setbacks. You know, I, I procrastinate and that kind of thing, but wait a minute, I'm learning that these people I look up to are struggling with the same things. So I'm not, like, I'm, I may not be in bad of a shape as I thought I was. Mm-hmm. And so that's what my show tries to shed light on. Awesome. I'm flying on Sunday. I'm going to add that to the list. I'm a plane podcaster. Ah, so okay. I'm going to add that oh, one nice. to the list. Yeah. Well, and, and since podcast episode 15, which we just recorded with Michael Barber, I've heard the name Jay Bear over and over as that was, uh, Michael was uh, as an apprentice to him. And I noticed mm-hmm. that you had Jay Bear on your Get Shit Done podcast. So I did listen yep. to that one. And uh, yeah, that was that was awesome. Very informational. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, 
and, and I will say this. I got Jay to sing at the end of the podcast. I was so happy. Now what I... did he sing? Please do tell. He, he's he sang uh, Whitney Houston's I Want to Dance with Somebody, oh, which is oh, one of my, my all-time favorite songs. Now, do you have – so here in your, your accolades in the intro, it says also has a monthly mental health podcast helping break the stigma of talking about sensitive to- yeah. topics. Is this a new podcast venture? That's a newer thing I've integrated in with my Twitch streaming. So that's something I live stream oh. through my Twitch channel. Okay. So I found um, – so through my Twitch networking and stuff, I found another streamer who's a licensed therapist – and so because I do um, I do some life coaching on the side as well, again, always looking to help people succeed and all yeah. of that, um, we partnered together and we create we created this mental health podcast. It doesn't even have a name. We just call it a podcast. Um, but we just we come up with a hot topic in the mental health you know, space and all of that. So we've talked about depression and anxiety and procrastination um, and, and a bunch of other stuff, too. And PTSD was another one um, we take we tackle one subject she puts together a great presentation for it and her and i have this open discussion about it where she comes at it from the very um you know like the book smarts kind of the side mm-hmm. of it, the very technical side of it and i'm more of like the layman's terms translator like okay here's what the book says here's what it means so you people can actually understand it um but then we also have our chat going off on the side where people can ask questions share opinions some of them share um experiences as well so that maybe if someone's just lurking and just watching us talk about it maybe they're seeing other people comment about it and then they start feeling comfortable enough where they might want to share too oh i love that that is really cool yeah and jason you shared a great slide during the presentation as well that we'll put in the show notes of what are your company's top marketing challenges and it really broke down a bar graph of basically what marketers are faced with because we've talked about a lot we've talked about a lot of content and as you said it i mean what do you have time to do? Because people are asking you questions, your emails are coming in, um, the work is is piling up. So how do we focus? What are the top marketing challenges for most, most companies today? Yeah, uh, HubSpot did a survey earlier this year and um, it came up with this great data point here, which is great. So the top marketing challenges, the biggest one, it, it concerns me, this was only 63% said this, um, but they said generating traffic and leads was their top marketing challenge. And again, this concerns me that it's only 63 because that should be 100%. If you're a marketer and your top challenge isn't generating traffic and leads, what are you then? <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> is your job is to generate traffic and leads. <laughs> but the next one, the next one down, proving the ROI of our marketing activities. That is a huge one. That goes into what you know Megan and I were talking about in soothing the executive levels and the C-suite people of making them have patience. You know, not always looking for results right away. We want to be able to prove that what we're doing is actually working. It's progressing. We're seeing positive results from that. It doesn't always have to result in conversions and clicks and sales and stuff, but just again, showing that we're building that trust. You know, it could start off on the awareness side of it where we're reaching more people. We're generating more comments. We're generating more conversations, which is great. And then content pieces after that start going down that funnel a little bit more. Like, okay, we start seeing email signups from this. We're starting to see, um, uh, you know, subscriptions to our blog posts um, and, and things like that. We're seeing more website hits. And then all of a sudden from that, we start seeing more uh, more sales and stuff. So proving the ROI is a huge. And then which leads into the next one, which is securing enough budget. 
if we can prove that it's working, odds are we'll be given more money to do it if we can prove that it's successful. Um, after that one was identifying the right technologies for our needs. Um, that goes into the technology that we use, the website, the tools, the services that we're using. Because you need to you need to know what's working for you and what actually will help you progress. Again, you don't want to be wasting time and wasting money on something that isn't going to help you succeed. Um, managing our website is a huge one. Um, I think that'll be an even bigger one in the upcoming years, especially now that Google has once again changed their algorithm. So, <laughs> and we can get into that a little bit later too. But yeah, big surprise, Google changed their algorithm to where um, what people have searched for before generated a certain list of results now it generates a completely different list of results because instead of just taking the key words from a search and generating results off of that, it's now taking every word into consideration, which generates a whole different list of results. Um, so SEO is going to be a huge thing moving forward. And then um, they had some other ones here. They're not quite as vital. Targeting content for an international audience. I mean, it, it, it only matters if that's what your brand is. If you're more of local, regional, or even just national, you don't need to worry about that. Um, training our team, that's another big one. Having the time to actually bring, you know, bring new employees up to speed on, on what they're supposed to do. It, the trial by fire doesn't always work. For some it does, if they're experienced enough, if they're ambitious enough, but you can't always depend on that. Um, hiring top talent and finding an executive sponsor. Again, top talent is nice if it's available and if you can afford it. Finding a, an executive sponsor, not not necessary, but all depends on what your strategies are. Sure. So it's really that funnel. It's it's getting it's getting the eyes. It's getting the engagement. Of course, in summary, what we've talked about, we're we're not trying to just do a barrage in quantity of content. We want to get some quality content so that we can get people down through the funnel. Uh, yep. You had great slides on the traditional and the new funnel. So let's break that down. And how does that look? And how has that changed? Yeah. So the traditional funnel I found, the picture that I put up there is a, is a little more of a detailed version of the tr traditional one. But for the most part, people know the funnel as awareness, consideration and purchase. Mm -hmm. um, that's the that's the typical one. This one was broken out a little bit more into awareness, interest, consideration, intent, evaluation and purchase, um, which, again, just describes a little bit more in detail about the step by step process. Um, but in today's digital age, that's now fully expanded where you still have that engagement. And then there's, you know, the, the research and the valuation of, you know, is this person actually going to consider you and why would they consider you over a competitor? Um, and then there's that purchase, but then as marketers, our job isn't done there. Now that we've secured the conversion, the email address, the, the sale um, or something like that, we can still do a lot more. You know, we can retarget them. We can keep them. We can keep that cycle going again. And so really what we want to do is keep providing them value beyond the sale, not push more sales on them per se, but push more value on them. And again, I still want to stress quality over quantity of content. I'm not saying hit them with daily, for the love of God, don't hit them with daily emails. <laughs> unless they're relevant content that they find. Unless it's, unless it's relevant and you're not seeing a huge drop off of unsubscribers. Right. If you, if you're doing a daily email and you're seeing, an alarming amount of unsubscribers dial that back to weekly and, and try that always test, always be testing. Yep. Um, but essentially what you want to do is keep providing that value beyond the purchase. So that way you can build advocacy, you can build brand ambassadors, you build 
fans of your brand to the point where they start promoting your brand and business and product and service for you, which makes your job easier. Because all of a sudden the onboarding is a lot is, is so much easier. Now you've skipped those first few steps of engagement, education, research, and evaluation. You have these people who've already had this successful transaction, this this blossoming relationship they built with you to the point where if they see someone else who has who has a need for something that you provide, they're gonna pull them in saying, Hey, check these guys out because I've already had I've already had success with them and you will too. Which makes, I mean, for us as marketers, that makes everything a lot easier. It, um, it, it speeds up that whole process, and it makes us look good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've built, you've built that trust. You've got them to convert, and you know now, now they're yours to, to have and to hold, if you will. Exactly. I mean, well, yeah. Just, and again, going back to the whole relationship thing, you've asked them out on a date. They said yes. You had a wonderful time. Do you stop dating them after that? No. no. You keep you keep sending them flowers. You keep talking to them. You take them out on more dates and stuff like that. You don't stop after the first one. <laughs> Marketing is just like dating. So right. you, you talk about I, I just I love the analogy that again, marketing is a marathon. It's not a sprint. What are some examples that you can share with us um, that that proves that over time there are different ways that you can present content and build successful audiences. Yeah. So there were three examples that I used in my presentation. I'll go, I'll go through them quickly here. The first, and we're going to go from like super big all the way down to rustic. So um, starting out on the really big one, Amanda Todorovic, content marketer. Um, I think she's the director of content marketing for the Cleveland Clinic. Um, they do a lot of healthcare blogging. Her, uh, she has a team of 40 professionals providing content for their blog called Health Essentials. Um, and they have so much content that they publish three to five articles per day wow. on their blog. That's a lot. Okay. Of articles. Yeah. yeah. Let, let that sink and in for a second. Three to five. Her, though. Their team oh. is phenomenal. Their content is fantastic. Right. Yes. I know. I after, you, after you look beyond the WebMD articles and stuff and find, figuring out that whatever you're ailing from is cancerous, exactly. I'm sorry, you're going to see a Cleveland clinic article. Um, but again, like how many people live in Cleveland? Not everyone in the U S but still, they drive 7 million inbound visitors per month just through wow. their blog. Nice. 7 million. Whew. 7 million per month. If you break that down to a daily average, same from like a 30-day month, that's still over 230,000 website visits per day just from their blog. Wow. Wow. But again, but now I know people might be thinking, I can't, there's no way in hell I have time to publish three to five articles per day. No, no. You would need a team of 40 to 50 people to do that. And that's okay. If you... If you don't have the bandwidth, if you don't have the budget to support that, don't do it. <laughs> only yeah. do, only work within your means. Um, so the middle of the road example I had was uh, a dear friend of mine, Julia McCoy. She owns a copywriting agency called Express Writers. She's been uh, running this thing for eight years. They're just passing, I believe, $5 million in revenue that they've done total. Um, she has a team of... I believe 90 to a hundred different writers. These are four other people not writing for her, um, but writing for clients and things like that. But what she's done from day one is uh, express writers has published a blog article once a week, every week for the past eight years, they've never missed a week. They've never taken a week off or anything. They publish a, an an SEO blogging uh, blog article every week for the past eight years. Now, granted, this is also the services that they provide. If you wanted, if um, you know, if you want keyword research, if you want 
um, expert blog articles or an ebook or you know a, something like that written. That's what they do. But their blog is also teaching you step by step how to do that and how to do it successfully. And they use a lot of their own case studies to promote that. So essentially, they're giving away their recipe book one page at a time of how to do this and, and like in any um, in any updates. So like with Google's SEO or other um, their algorithm update, they wrote an article on that showing their insights, trying to educate their fans and um, and their following on that. Um, and so in publishing one blog article every week, they've constantly seen um, over time a growth of their of their website visits. And so there is a picture that I had in my slide that shows from October 2015, they saw um, somewhere of like maybe 20,000 hits. I'm trying to blow this up here. I can't really see it that well, but I think it's it's about maybe f- they, they get about five to 8,000 website visits um, in a month. And then 18 months later, remember that quote I had from Joe, it takes about 18 months to see content marketing success. Mm-hmm. About 18 months later in 2017, you see that number jump from about 5,000 to about 15,000 website hits, wow. which is a significant increase. And then if you go 18 months after that, they had it, they had it marked at July 2019. They're upwards of about 30,000 website hits now. Wow. So again, another 18 months. It takes about that time to really see the big difference between the two. Mm-hmm. But um, I also think what they did really well, and, and you have got a quote here from, from Joe saying this too, is that they made that commitment and they have a blog post every week. And it's, he says, if you aren't delivering consistently to your audience, you're not content marketing and consistency is key. Like yep. audience come to expect when you're publishing things. And they did that by making that commitment and clearly it's paid off. Exactly. They found a consistent schedule that works for them. Again, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean you have to do it every day. You don't have to do it every week. Do what work within your means. Same thing with those newsletters I'm signed up with. They only publish once a month, but I still find them highly valuable. Mm-hmm. So just work within your means. I can't stress that enough. Um, but the third example, so you know, let's say you can't publish three to five times a day. You can't publish once a week. Again, that's okay. I went, I, we went as rustic as possible here. So Michael Poznev has a blog called IWannaBeAblogger.com. That, that's it. I'm sure you can guess what it's about. Blogging. Blogging. Oh, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Michael on his website generates 12 to 15,000 page views every month with only five blog articles on his website total. What? That's it? That's what all sense does that make? New wow. content. Does he, he update it? He does update them. Okay. But he's not publishing new content every week, every month, anything like that. He takes five blog articles and he and he's been he's been updating them for you know the, I think the past two or three years, something like that. But he's always updating them. Oh, interesting. Going in there, auditing the SEO, the keywords and the key phrases, making sure that his core audience, the people he really wants, to, he really wants to find his content, are actually able to find his content through the searches that they're using in Google to find the information that he's providing. On top of that, he's also engaging his community. He's making sure that he's active on social media and in the other spaces that that audience is very active in. He joins the, you know, he asks questions, he answers questions, he's generating those conversations and fostering friendships. And in doing that, it builds that trust. It's not just through his content, but through interacting with him as well. Yeah, I've 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 wondered because we've heard a lot 
in our lunch presentations and our conversations that we have at the AMA, we, we talk about refreshing content. That was something that we talked about a lot with our SEO SmackDown is how you can go back, you can update those links, you can refresh the content. You don't have to just delete these old blog posts. And I've always mm-hmm. wondered, you know, how successful can that be? And, and this, this proves it right there. It is, it is quite successful. And, and if you look at the graph, you can see when he posts uh, when he posted the articles, he, he saw that huge spike because everyone's like, hey, it's a new article from Mike. It's great. Yep. And then it would drop right back down because people have read the, the the information. But then after that fifth article, that's when he starts putting time and effort into fostering those relationships and getting involved in those conversations. And you see over time, about every 18 months, go figure, you start seeing a bit more of a, a higher jump in uh, in website visits. So if I may be so bold, what are some good blogging best practices that can uh, boost your numbers up a little bit? I know, right? I I won't call them best practices, but I will say (laughs) based off of research from, from polling several thousand bloggers that another friend of mine, Andy Crestadina of Orbit's um, Orbit Media Studios has done. This is, you want to talk about repurposing content. He's been running this survey for, I think the past four or five years and he asked over 10,000 bloggers just various amounts of questions. Um, and so of the respondents that have reported strong results from their blog, they've seen a high rate of conversions, subscribers, and sales and stuff. This is, this is kind of like the recipe that he's found for a good blog. 75% say they include 10 or more images, so it's very visual. Mm-hmm. 67% said they draft 20 headlines per article. So they're, they're not just putting together one headline and just saying, okay, that probably works. They're going to go with that. They're testing and, and trying different variations of their headline to see what really works. And there's a, um, there's a tool that I, I want to let people know about. It's, this is from AMIinstitute.com. And you can, go to the, you can go to the tool directly by going to AMIinstitute.com slash headline. They have a wonderful free tool there where you can test your headline and test it for effectiveness and empathy and that kind of thing to see how well um, your viewers would respond to it, just how emotional it, um, it is. And it will give you a percentage based off of, you know, zero to a hundred percent. If you can hit 75% on that score, it's really good. Um, but it tests, it tests the emotional validity of that headline. Is it going to draw someone and compel someone to really click on that headline? So wait, um, do you, do you have numerous versions of the blog, all with different headlines you're testing them and then whichever one tests best you leave or how does that process work? For drafting headlines, so you have like you have the content itself, but then drafting headlines, you're putting together, um, you're putting together different word variations for that headline. Mm-hmm. So if you um, try and think of an example, like if you're doing one on like how to how to start a podcast, yep. One headline would be how to start a podcast. Another one could be so you want to start a podcast and not sure where to begin. Another one could be. Um, are you looking to start a podcast? You know, just different variations of that. Yep. And so going through this tool, you're trying to see, you know, which one is going to have that high emotional value of it. That's going to really draw people to. Um, so you're just, uh, okay. So you're just saying that you, typically in that process, 67% will write and test 20 of those before they pick their final one and then roll with it. Yep. Okay. Got it. Yep. Yeah. They're, they're just trying to find the, just the right variation of words that correspond with the content they're providing because, you know, keyword and SEO and all that stuff. Yep. Um, but they, they don't want to just do, I don't want to draft like one or two and then make a decision off of that. I want to make sure I'm thoroughly thinking this through before I put sense. that out there. 
Okay. Yeah, that's a great tool too. Uh, that's something else that Michael talked about with subject lines and emails is what really is mad. What matters is like the sentiment, which yep. is what you're talking about here. The sentiment behind that headline and, and testing that. Exactly. Yep. And using the um, emojis so- to uh, using the emojis to reinforce it. <laughs> emojis, <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. hey, depending on the audience, it works. Exactly. Um, so a few other stats from strong resulting blogs, 55% said they published 2000 plus word articles. So it's no longer snackable content. These are long drawn. I don't want to say drawn out in a negative way, but they're very detailed and very, um, uh, you know, very value oriented pieces of content. Mm-hmm. That's where, that's where a lot of links, that's where a lot of images and stuff really play in to help really convey the message. Um, 53% said they researched key phrases for every article. This I've, I'm surprised that number's not higher because how else are you going to get your stuff found without using keywords and key phrases outside of just, you know, the, the audience that you've already built. Um, but then 43% also promote using paid channels. So it's not a bad thing to, you know, boost it, promote it, advertise it and that kind of thing. Um, it's just, it's not a necessity. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that- to me, I think that can often be a misstep is really taking the time to maximize the SEO and, and, building that into your content process uh, as well. So before we kind of sum everything up here, I know you mentioned coming back to SEO and there were a couple slides that you presented on the new algorithm for uh, Google's algorithm. Uh, Walk us through that real quick and, and how that would impact us. Yeah. So like I said, Google's algorithm recently changed where they're taking Google searches a lot more literally now. Um, and I found a couple of examples from the from the blog that Google had put out there. Um, one of the searching examples they had was 2019 Brazil traveler to USA need a visa. Okay, so I'm a Bra- I'm a Brazilian traveler. I'm traveling to the USA and I need a visa. That's what I'm looking for. Before this algorithm change, the top um, the top search result was uh, a post from the Washington Post, and the headline reads: "U.S. citizens can travel to Brazil without the red tape of a visa." Not quite the information I'm looking for if I'm a Brazilian traveler going to the U.S. That's that's the other way around. <laughs> so now after this, it takes everything into account now, where now the first search result after this, again, 2019 Brazil traveler to USA need a visa. The very first search result is the U.S. Embassy Tourism and Visitor, which shows you or which tells you how to get a visa. Hmm. Um, the other example they had was do aestheticians I still can't say that aestheticians yes that one can those do those people stand a lot at work so maybe you're just doing some research you want to know like you know they're having joint pains or whatever like how long do they do they stand a lot at work before the algorithm change the first search result that comes up is medical versus spa those people (laughs) (laughs) I know I'm going to screw it up so I'm not even going to bother the first one is you know medical versus spa um and it, it doesn't really tell you if they stand a lot at work or anything like that it's just comparing the two afterwards it now uh the very first one is that line of work again physical demands um so it, it's again it, it's taking word for word what you're searching and giving you search results based off of that rather than just the keywords of that search where can individuals stay up to date or uh, like a newsletter they can subscribe to, to stay up to date on these algorithm changes? Cause there, there's so much we have to learn as marketers. Like where do we go? <laughs> sure. Wait, this is where we give out Jason Dodge's uh, personal cell phone number at black truck media. 
call Jason. <laughs> and, and Jason's dad is a phenomenal resource for that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I mean, yeah, Jason Dodge is a great one. Um, if uh, other resources, I would recommend my my friend Julia McCoy of Express Writers. Their blog is highly highly valuable for anything Google SEO and blogging related. Great. All right, now let's wrap it all up. So marathon, not a sprint. We talked about what used to work, what we're doing now, what's in the future. Boil this all down for us. Wrap this all up. Yeah. So really what it comes down to for, to have content marketing success, it it basically comes down to three steps and that's providing value beyond selling. So share insights, share opinions, foster conversations, ask questions, answer questions. If you're looking ways to start that Quora.com, Q-U-O-R-A.com is a wonderful resource for that. Find out what people are asking. Um, Go to competitor sites. Find out what comments they're leaving, what questions they're asking. Start answering yourself in blogs and start putting that out there and sharing that out there. And all of a sudden, you become the trusted source. Provide value beyond selling is the first one. Um, answer questions, I would say, is the second one. Um, just because, again, that's you're providing in, immediate feedback. You're, you're providing solutions for problems that people are having, that whether that's through a product or service that you're selling or just information that you have, building that trust over time, um, which is our third one. Build that trust over time. It does take a while, but it pays dividends in the end if you're consistent with it. You can't just say, you know, one week I'm going to, I'm going to put all this out there. I'm going to be highly engaged and all that stuff. And then I'm not going to look at this again for another couple of weeks. You, you need to have someone who's constantly engaged with your content, with your audience, making sure that your brand can, can be seen and is being interactive. And do you have a couple of good examples just on on trust building that you could point out to us as far as some things that we might be able to think about or do? Yeah, um, ways to earn trust. Uh, User generated content is a is a huge thing. If you, it, what's better than having your audience provide you with content? You know, right? <laughs> having you your job is already done for you. User generated content is an awesome thing. Uh, we've talked, we've mentioned Jay Bear before. He found um, a recent study from Adweek that said 85% of consumers find user generated content more influential than branded content. Because, and, and the reason why is because it's not the brand just saying, look at our stuff. You, know, you think about like the guy with the wallet and he has the, the family pictures in his wallet, just constantly slamming it in your face. Look at my family, look at my family kind of thing. Like, look at my product, look at my product. It's other people talking about it. They're going to trust user reviews and other people talking about your brand more than the brand itself talking about what they're doing. Um, and you want to talk about customer reviews. In 2017, a research study reported that displaying customer reviews increased conversion rates by 270%. Oh, wow. And that's not just mm. the positive reviews. I mean, granted, it does help. But also publishing the negative reviews and showing people how you respond to that. Because yep, again, it, it helps yeah. it helps build that trust in that relationship where even if things don't go well, people people will then know before they start doing business with you what they're in for. They want to know that they can trust that you're going to be there if something goes wrong. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that's what, another huge. What kind of impression do you have if you go on and you only see glowing reviews of of some organization? I mean, you have to think. What? Depending really? on the number of reviews. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, I mean and if they're all like, like five and you're like, what's going on? <laughs> right. I mean, well, I mean, think of your Amazon shopping though. I mean, how many of us have passed over this, this product that 
blatantly fits our needs, but it only has three stars. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be skeptical of it because people have had problems with it. But then that's why you trust. That's why you look at the user reviews and go, okay, what problems have they had? And what happened after, you know, they voiced their complaint. Right. And if you see one that's gotten a lot of great reviews and then a couple of those that are really scorned people that they're obviously just wanting to get on there and this is the worst product ever. I tried calling. They didn't call me back. Yeah, but I mean, but that's also why you respond to them saying like, hey, I'm sorry, we tried, we couldn't make it work out. Right, right. Um, you know, then, then you say like, hey, we, we'll be happy to refund your money or send you a, a brand new one. Something like, show that you care, build that relationship. Don't just don't just leave them dangling. People don't like that. Well, and I, I by figure. the way, that's how Josh, Josh leaves reviews. <laughs> <laughs> right? Scathing reviews. No, but you know, on the on the on the other side of the coin, like you had just talked about, as far as user generated content, uh, you know, we've actually had some some social media reviews where the the customers will come and people that are just posting things that are obviously had a bad day and just being reactive, people will actually jump in when you know they kind of personally attack you and say, you know, wait a second, you're not, you're not thinking correctly. You know, they, they do this, this does not sound like them. So you'll actually have people come to your aid on social media, which I think can, can say a lot. How cool well. is that? Yeah. Those are your advocates. Yeah. Right. That's yep. why you build the those ambassadors. advocates. Yep. Yep. So mm-hmm. that, that can be a good thing as well. Um, yeah. All right, Jason, uh, Megan, any other questions on evolution of content marketing before we, we wrap things up? No, Jason did a phenomenal job. Thank you for sharing all the info. Yeah. Jason, before we go, we do have to ask a few questions just about you more particularly, (laughs) more inspirational type stuff. So who or what inspires you? There's a lot of people that inspire me. Uh, As far as what inspires me, it's more of what what I look for in the people that inspire me. And that's those that are looking to better the people around them. You know, they want to leave their mark on the universe. They want to leave that dent on the universe. So, I mean, a, a lot of people I look up to are kind of like the, the mode, like, I hate using this term, but kind of like the motivational speakers kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the, the influential speakers. Um, so like Tom Bilyeu, Tony Robbins, Simon Sinek is another big one of mine. Um, Brendan Burchard, uh, Amy Cuddy, a, a lot of the t- popular Ted talkers go figure. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the community, a rising tide lifts all boats. And I mean, you know, you can, you can do great things for yourself, but I mean, true leaders that can impact and make those and empower those around them. I think that's a, yeah. In helping others, you help yourself. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I like. Yep. All right. How about a favorite book? My favorite book is is from Simon Sinek called Start With Why. Mm, Good Uh, one. I, I love it. It's based off of his TED Talk. Um, his TED Talk is one of the top 10 most viewed TED Talks, not TEDx or anything like that, but like the big TED conference, mm-hmm. uh, one of the top 10 ones. He talks about this thing called the Golden Circle. If you want to know just about that, it's a five-minute video on YouTube. Highly recommend it. Um, but he talks about us as brands and also consumers about how a lot of times we look at the what and the how in selling and our decision-making process, and we don't really focus on the why. And so how he's able to communicate why we need to focus on the why we do things rather than what we're doing is makes a huge difference. And so like the, the big, like the big quotable quote from his, his talk was people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. 
Yeah, and he now has a book that goes with it, the Find Your Why, which is more about you personally. Puts, puts you whole through, puts you through yeah. that whole process of finding your why, so you can actually communicate. I, I have both of them. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, <laughs> figured you would, but I love that. I love the other one too because that's a really good one to dive deep if you're looking, you know, some, for some personal reflection. That's a good one. Absolutely. Oh, just he's got tons of great books. Another one's Leaders Eat Last, which is another good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think I think that speaks to our whole, you know, Megan, uh, another one of our podcasts that we did with Stan Phelps on differentiation, you know, really starts with that root of of why, why it is that you do what you do. And how does that carry on to, you know, where you work in your company culture and getting everybody on the same page with, you know, why it is that you do what you do, because there are so many people that that offer the same product as you. Why are you different? Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Uh, how about uh, favorite podcast or podcasts? Besides this one, besides Aww. this one, or besides the uh, get shit done chat, yeah, exactly. Um, Jay Bears podcast is pretty good. I do enjoy Jay Bears quite a bit. Okay, the people yeah, he, he has on there, that that's a really good one. Um, oh, Tim Ferriss has an awesome podcast as well. Yep. Um, trying to think of other ones. I mean, those are the big two. Okay. Okay. Do you like any any entertainment? podcast that that really gets you as well when you're you're in the mood for something a little more um easily digestible if you're if you're too motivated <laughs> out by all the the go 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 produce produce, Not produce. Really. the podcasts i listen to are more educational than, than okay. entertainment okay i'm i i love freakonomics just the, everything that the, the way i've heard that, good things about that one i haven't i haven't listened to that one i need to look that one up yeah it's it's good I, have you read the book yeah. freakonomics I have not. Just the whole perspective and the way that they present, they produce, it's, it's just so well produced. And I highly recommend you check it out. Cool. I'll add it to my list for sure. All right. And um, last, because you do some life coaching, this will be a great question for you. What is your favorite piece of advice? Or if you could boil what you've learned down in your career to one piece of advice for others, what would that be? There, all right. So there's two, there's two like quick one-line pieces of advice I always remind myself, depending on where I am in life. And that is this too shall pass. Mm. <laughs> and there's one that my mom told me where um, it, as a kid, it drove me nuts. But now that I'm like, I'm, I'm out doing my own thing and I'm seeing su- some success doing it. I still hear her voice in the back of my head saying it over and over again. I'm like, dang it. She was right. <laughs> and it was very simplistic. And it was just, you gotta wanna. Yeah. Uh, if you want it, if you want it bad enough, you'll find a way to make it work. If you're making excuses as to why you're not doing this this goal or this you know this project this whatever it is you want to work on, if you're coming up with excuses of why you can't do it, you're too tired, you don't have the time for it, you don't have the money for it, you, then you don't want it bad enough. Mm-hmm. If if you want something bad enough, if you are truly driven and ambitious enough to really focus on this thing, you'll find a way to do it. Well, I can see that you've taken that to heart. Definitely, <laughs> yeah. you are very much a go getter. So yes. That stuck with you. It took, it took some trial and error, but I've got a pretty good grasp on it now. So. Yeah. There's also a great Freakonomics podcast on grit and about people that don't give up and they got to want to to the nth degree. So I'll throw that that out there as mm-hmm. well. All right, Jason, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, throw your contact information out. If uh, people want to reach out to you, talk to you, ask you questions, where do they find you? Sure. Um, the two best places to find me where you know, you'll get a response from me is Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn is just Jason Schemmel. I'm, I believe I'm the only one on there. I don't think my evil <laughs> twin has gotten on there yet, but, um, uh, Twitter, you can find me at Jason Schemmel. 
there's no dots or underscores or anything like that. Just at Jason Schemmel. Um, yeah, Twitter and LinkedIn are the best ones. If you want to find me on Twitch, uh, my tw- <laughs> my Twitch username is Big Shem. Big Shem. So. Uh, I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna ask. That was, that was an old childhood nickname, and just for whatever reason, it stuck. Okay, that's and that's yeah. And your podcast, one more time. Podcast called the Get Shit Done Chat. Um, it, it's it's been on hiatus for a little bit just because life has happened and I've had other things happen. But I do have some like 30 or 40 episodes on there. I have it, it'll be it'll be coming back next year for sure, early next year. Awesome. Yeah, we look forward to that, and uh, we should team up for a little uh, 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 a co-podcast. Yeah, that'd be, totally, be interesting. That let's talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, Megan, you may not know this about Jason, but voted number one consultant in Michigan by him and his <laughs> wife. <laughs> you got the subtext, all not. right? I read, I read the asterisk. Yes. <laughs> uh, all right, Jason. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We really do appreciate all your time and for thank presenting so at our much. launch. It's been an absolute pleasure. We want to, again, of course, thank our sponsors uh, who help us make all of this possible. For our season sponsors, we, of course, want to thank our gold ones, MI Biz and BizCom Media, again, for their continued support. For our silver sponsors, uh, PageWorks, Bird and Bird Studio, and Red 66 Marketing. And, of course, our bronze sponsors, OFA and Grand Valley State University Conference and Event Planning. And as we've mentioned before, a huge thanks to Gilson Graphics for making this preview presentation with Jason and that networking event possible and free for our AMA members and to Experience Grand Rapids for sponsoring this particular event. So again, thank you guys so, so much. We cannot do this without you. So we really appreciate our sponsors. Yes, thank you. Support them. If you want to support this podcast, support our sponsors because they make this all possible. Megan, before we do wrap up, I just want to say subscribe, review, engage. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. We do want to hear back from you. And if you want a direct line to our inbox, send an email to podcast at amawestmichigan.org. Get engaged. Ask us questions. We want to hear from you. Josh and I see those emails. We read them and we respond. So please, please send us an email. We want to hear how you love the podcast, things that we could be doing better, content topics that are helpful for you, or just say hello. We're online at amawestmichigan.org and active on social media, where you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The national hub for the American Marketing Association is ama.org, where you can also find a chapter near you. The Marketers in Motion podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at amawestmichigan.org, where we encourage you not only to subscribe and share our podcast, but review, ask questions, get involved, and engage with us. Don't forget important links, content, and resources will be included in the show notes for this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Marketers in Motion podcast, powered by the West Michigan chapter of the American Marketing Association. What will you do with the information you learned today? Be inspired. Be creative, be bold, set your marketing in motion.